Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. It's good to be back with the Return to the Word listening audience. We're headed to another one of my favorite passages in the New Testament at the very beginning of the book of John. If you have your Bible handy, open it to the first chapter of John. There is the old story of a prince who is traveling one day through a local village on business for his father. He happened to pass through a very poor section of town. Looking through the window of his carriage, he saw a beautiful young peasant girl walking along the street. This prince could just not get this girl off of his mind. He continued to come to that same village day after day just to see her. His heart burned with the desire to talk to her, but he had a problem. How could he develop a relationship with her? I mean, technically, as the prince, he could just simply order this young girl to marry him. He had the authority as prince to make it happen. But this isn't what he wanted at all. He wanted this girl to love him from the heart. He wanted her to willingly enter into a relationship with him. He could put on his royal garments and try to impress her with his entourage that went with him to ride up to her home with soldiers and a carriage drawn by six horses. But if he did this, he would never be certain that the girl loved him or if she was simply overwhelmed with his power, his position, and his wealth. This prince came up with another solution. As you may have guessed, he gave up his royal robes, his symbols of power and prestige. He moved into the village dressed only as a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests, shared their concerns. He talked their language, and in time, this young peasant girl grew to know him and then to love him. In many, many ways, this is what the Lord Jesus has done for us. The Word became flesh. The King of Kings put aside his heavenly robes and came to live as one of us. He lived among us, ate with us, drank with us, felt with us, all to win our love. He could have forced us. He could have overwhelmed us, but he chose not to. He came to win our love. God the Son came so that we could experience his transforming love. Turn in your Bibles to our text to the Gospel of John. It is in the Gospel of John that we read that God in Christ became one of us. He took the form of human flesh to dwell among us. Jesus, God incarnate, the very God who created the universe humbled himself chose to be born as a tiny baby in a manger and lived among mankind with all of our limitations. He did it out of his love for us. Now, starting in verse 1 of the Gospel of John, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. At this point in time in the Christian faith, when the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle John to write this gospel, James, the brother of John, was dead. Peter, the leading apostle to the Jews, was dead. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was dead. Thomas, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, all the apostles were dead, all except one. There in Ephesus, lived an old man, the first and last of the apostles, the Apostle John. All the memories of the ministry of Christ lingered in his heart. The Apostle John was actually the human cousin of Jesus. For some three and a half years, they were the closest of friends. 
I believe that John knew the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ as did no other person on earth at that time. It would appear from the four Gospels that John was the only one of the apostles to be physically present at the cross. It would appear that John was the only apostle to witness the actual death of the Lord Jesus. But enormous changes had taken place. The Jewish war with Rome had brought about the end of Jerusalem as the center for Jewish worship. The temple had been burned and destroyed. The Jews were living in exile. For the Jews, there would be no more sacrifices, no homeland, no king but Caesar. The Jewish people took it all in stride and were still hostile and bitter to the rejected Messiah. The Jews were living with hope that one day they would return to their home and rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. But something new had risen on the pages of history, the Church of Jesus Christ. And not only had John witnessed the life and ministry of Christ, but he had witnessed the rise of the church. John was there at Pentecost when the disciples were baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body. John had known all the apostles, all the early disciples. He'd witnessed firsthand the church grow from 120 to over 3,000 in a single day. John had witnessed the gospel of Christ spread so that by the end of the first century, the Christian church was reaching into all of the known world and no man living at the time knew the truth of the life and the ministry of Christ better than John. By this point in time, all the books of the New Testament were written, except for this gospel, the epistles of John, and the book of Revelation. The other three gospels, the book of Acts, and all the other epistles were written and were circulating amongst the churches. So it does raise a very, very important question. Why write another gospel? Why was the Holy Spirit of God inspiring him to write another account of the life and ministry of Christ? The other three Gospels deal mainly with the ministry of Christ in Galilee. But what about the work of Christ in Judea? Matthew had been written primarily for the Jews. Mark had been written for the Roman people, and Luke was written for the Greeks. But there was a desperate need for one more Gospel record. Someone needed to write the teachings of Christ for the church. The year was somewhere around... 90 AD. This is almost 60 years after the resurrection of Christ. It was now the third generation of believers. The warnings of Paul, Peter, and Jude about the coming apostasy in the church, the warning of wolves coming in among them and not sparing the flock. These were no longer just ominous words because now by this time, all kinds of heresies were running rampant in the church. The early Gnostics were teaching that the Lord assumed the appearance of man for a time. That at the baptism, the divine Logos was united with the man, Jesus. Some other groups were starting to teach that Jesus was a man and not God. Others taught that Jesus was God, but not a man. And some were teaching that Jesus was both God and man with separate personalities. In other words, Jesus was a man and Jesus was God, but in two separate persons. And yet still others taught that Jesus was a mixture of God and man. There's a lot of confusion, to say the least, about the God-man Jesus Christ, of how Jesus could be both fully God and fully man. And because of this, there was a great need for this fourth gospel from John. Now, John wrote this gospel according to his own words in chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel to counter the heresy of the day and to set the record straight about the Savior coming in the flesh. And as we pick up the gospel of John, we are right away made aware that this gospel is different from the others. Luke presents the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, in order as the events happened. But this is not always true with John. John does jump around a little bit. 
in the Gospel of John. There is no genealogy, no manger scene, no account of Jesus as a child. John does not record the baptism of Christ, the temptation of Christ. He does not record the transfiguration. And there is no account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are only a few miracles that John does record. In the Gospel of John, there is no mention of scribes, no lepers, no demoniacs, and there are no parables. John focused on the teachings of Christ, and it almost seems as if John was trying to include things that the other Gospels left out and trying to leave out things that the other Gospels did record about the life of Christ. Different Bible teachers have actually gone through the Gospel of John, looking at the wording that John used writing in the Greek. And John only used about 600 different words to write this gospel. The language and wording is simple and direct. John uses the vocabulary of a seven-year-old child, keeping the message of Jesus Christ simple and clear, while at the same time, extremely profound. Take another look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice that John does not waste any time arguing at all with the Gnostics or the heretics of the day. But rather, John just proclaims the simple truth of Christ, the truth that he knew to be true. I want you to think about how amazing these statements are from John. We know that John must have known Jesus of Nazareth from the time that he was just a boy. The apostle John was the Lord's cousin. John's mother, Salome, was a sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that the Jewish families were close. John grew up by the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus spent his time as a boy in Nazareth which was not all that far away. When the Jews would take their yearly trips to Jerusalem for the different Jewish feasts, these were always occasions when families would travel together. But after becoming a disciple of the Lord, John knew that Jesus of Nazareth was God the Son. No heretic was in a position to deny the truth that John was about to set forth. John did not need to spend his time going point by point through the different doctrines of the heretics. All that John had to do was bear witness to the truth. And isn't that an important lesson for us all when we witness and when we deal with those who have doctrines that do not line up with the Word of God? The message is, proclaim the truth of Christ. Now, before we move on, I want you to think about that for John to proclaim in these verses that Jesus is God is not a statement that should be taken lightly. John was a Jewish believer. John, like the rest of the Jews, would have had absolutely no tolerance for blasphemy. But after witnessing the life of Christ for three and a half years, after having over half a century to reflect on what he witnessed firsthand, his conviction for over 50 years was that Jesus of Nazareth was more than just a man. He was and is God. Now, when we read the statement in the beginning, we need to ask the beginning of what? The context of the passage gives us the answer. In Genesis 1-1, the text reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Context is clear in Genesis. It is the beginning of God's act of creation. Listen to Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what's the context? The context from verse 2 and on in Mark is that it was the beginning of John the Baptist's testimony. But here in John, the context of the beginning refers to God the Son's eternal pre-incarnate existence. This is before creation, prior to the existence of time as we know it. Peter teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that Christ existed before the foundation of the world. In John 17, 5, Jesus himself testified of the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. Verse 24 in that same chapter, Jesus spoke of the love of the Father towards him before the foundation of the world. 
The Apostle John is teaching us that in eternity past, Christ existed. In eternity past, Christ was with God and was God, meaning that Christ existed distinct from the Father, but as part of the Godhead. Where John proclaims that the Word was with God, the wording literally implies a face-to-face relationship, meaning that in eternity past, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, was co-equal with God the Father. John is teaching us that when we think of Jesus, this is where we need to begin. In eternity past, to a time before time even existed. Because Christ never had a beginning, and Christ will never have an ending. He is eternally God. Now before we move on, ask yourself, what does it mean that John clearly refers to Jesus as the Word? When we think of the Word of God, we understand that words are what the Spirit of God used to express the truth of God, especially the truth of Christ. We see in different places in Scripture where the words of the Lord represent the Lord. Listen to Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The word is the expression of God. The word is the revelation of God. Put this all together and think of what John is testifying about the Christ. You see, the point is, the word is the person of the Godhead who existed in eternity past, who was sent to the world when the time had come to be the expression of God, revealed to his created beings. The Lord Jesus Christ is the revelation of God towards man. Let me say that again because I do not think that we can let that sink in enough. The Lord Jesus Christ is the revelation of God towards man. And in light of all the heresy that was being proclaimed, this is what John wanted to make sure the churches understood. Jesus is God. Take a look at the simple statement of verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John added these words to guard against the heresy that was going around that was teaching that Jesus was a created being. The Lord Jesus existed as a member of the Godhead before time began. And I think that John intends the entire book to be read in light of this verse. Jesus has always existed. Jesus is God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And without this understanding, you will never come to a proper understanding of the book of John. And you will never come to a proper understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Verse 3 records all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Turn back, if you would, to the book of Genesis, heading to Genesis 1. I think that what we have in the Gospel of John is a further extension of the teaching found in Genesis. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we understand from this passage in Genesis that we have a reference to two members of the triune God, God and the Spirit of God. Now, skip down to the first part of verse 26 in Genesis 1. Here comes this famous statement. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. John is teaching us, John is showing us that the implied teaching of verse 26 of Genesis 1 is a reference to the Trinity. A bunch of different passages from the New Testament should jump into your mind that all show that God the Son is the Creator. Colossians 1.16, clearly referring to Christ, the Apostle Paul testified, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Jot some of these passages down for the next time you have to witness to someone that does not believe Jesus is God. 
Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You see, the point is, you cannot be a Christian. You cannot claim to be someone that follows Christ unless you honestly believe that Jesus is God the Son. So head back to our text and take a look at our verse again in John. Notice in the first part of verse 3, John testifies, all things were made through him. All things. The wording actually refers to all things individually, all things separately. In other words, this is a reference to every single detail of creation. Astronomers keep building bigger and better telescopes just to get a glimpse of creation. The distances out in space are so huge that astronomers have to measure things in light years, which is the distance that light travels in one year at 186,273 miles per second. This would be the same as going around the Earth at the equator seven and a half times per second. If you round it off, one light year is about six trillion miles. Now, our sun is only about eight light minutes away, but there are stars out there which are thought to be billions of light years away. Think of how big this creation is that Christ spoke into existence. There are stars out there that are bigger than we could ever imagine. The star known as Antares is so large that it could hold 64 million suns the size of ours. Now, if you think that is big, in the constellation Hercules, there's a star that could contain 100 million stars the size of Antares. If you look up in the night sky and look at the Milky Way, our galaxy, it is 100,000 light years in diameter, and it is revolving at a speed of 200 miles an hour. But even though it is moving at 200 miles an hour, it is so big that it would take 2 million years to complete one revolution on its axis. But it is not just the size of creation we need to understand. We need to think about how precise this creation is. For example, our planet does not travel in a true circle travels in three directions at the same time. It revolves on its axis, it travels around the sun, and its path is deflected by other planets. But with all of this going on, it does not lose more than one one-hundredth of a second every 100 years. Think of the atom. It is the building block of the universe, and each atom is less than 150 millionth of an inch in diameter. But I think God's creation is even more impressive when we look at the bodies that he has given us. Each cell in a living creature contains 200 billion molecules of atoms. The nucleus of a cell is less than four ten thousandths of an inch in diameter. God's creation is absolutely incredible. Don't insult our intelligence by proclaiming that this all happened by chance. For the record, John testifies, every single detail was made by Christ. He made it all. Not even one thing was made without Christ. Creation is a foundational truth and doctrine of the Christian faith. Every other aspect of our belief system rises and falls on our understanding of God the Son as the Creator. Creation is the foundation stone of the gospel. Now think with me about the second half of verse 3. If nothing was made without Christ, then Christ cannot be included in the things of creation. In other words, Jesus was not created. He is the Creator. John records in verses 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Even before Jesus came into the world, even before he became incarnate, as God in the flesh to be the light of the world, Jesus revealed God to mankind through creation. 
You see, the more we know about life, the more we learn about life, the more we understand how complex it really is. As we study the complexities of the human body, we again and again see the hand of God at work. Every cell, every membrane, every complex molecule, every strand of DNA testifies of the Creator. Now, when we think of life, we think of life created by Christ at creation, and we think of eternal life that comes through Christ. It is in John 14, verse 6, that we read the words of the Savior, where he testified, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John is going further here in chapter 1 than just referring to physical life. John is testifying of the life that can only be found in Christ for salvation. Yes, at creation, physical light was given to all men. But what John is talking about is the life that comes from Christ. When light shines in absolute darkness, nothing can be seen except the source of that light. But now, still in a place with absolute darkness, with one light on one end of the darkness, you put something in the path of that light and you can see it because it reflects the light. Well, unless, of course, the object is black because then the object remains invisible because black objects reflect no light. And I think this is the idea that John is getting at, that men love darkness rather than light. And there are not too many in the dark world that will reflect the light of Christ. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is the Apostle Paul describing the moral condition of man. Because sin has entered this world, mankind is living in darkness. Romans 3, starting in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now this is the moral state of human darkness without the light of Christ. This is the depravity and darkness of man. But turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because God did not leave us in darkness. This is just a beautiful verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The point is, the same God that gave physical light to the world has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. But if the hearts of men continue in darkness, if the hearts of men continue in unbelief, then there is no response to the light of Christ. Paul wrote of those who continue in unbelief in Ephesians 4.18, where he testified, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. God sent his light. God sent his son into the world but mankind did not understand it. Mankind could not grasp it. By and large, they rejected the light of Christ. I'd like to close our time by telling you the story of a man who was much like us. He wasn't a Scrooge. He was kind, decent. The world would have considered him to be a good man, generous to his family and honest in his dealings with others. But he didn't believe in the incarnation. It didn't make any sense to him. He was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just could not swallow the story of Jesus about God coming to earth as a man. So on one Christmas Eve, he 
He just could not go with his wife to church. He told his wife he wasn't trying to cause any problems, but he couldn't go because he would feel like a hypocrite. So he would much rather just stay home, but he would wait up for them. He stayed and his family went. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the windows to watch the snowflakes get heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his chair by the fire and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by the sound of a loud thud, and then another, and another. At first, he thought someone must have been throwing snowballs against his living room window. And when he went to the front door, he found a flock of birds huddled up miserably in the snow. They'd been caught up in the storm, and in their desperate search for shelter, they tried to fly through his large bay window. The noise he heard was the birds hitting his window. He wasn't quite sure what to do, but he couldn't let the poor things lie there and freeze. Immediately, he thought of their barn. It would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. He quickly put on his coat, his boots. He trampled through the deep snow to the barn, opened the door wide, and turned on a light. But the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them in, and he hurried back to the house, fetched some breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the wide-open door of the barn. But the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. Next, he tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms. But they just scattered in every direction, except the direction of the barn. And it dawned on this man that the problem was the birds were afraid of him. To them, he figured he was a strange and terrifying creature. If only he could think of some way to let them know that they could trust him, that he wasn't trying to hurt them. He was there to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led and would not be directed towards the barn because they feared him. If only I could be a bird myself, he thought. If only I could be a bird and mingle with them, speak their language. Tell them to not be afraid and show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I'd have to be one of them so they could see, hear, and understand. And at that moment, the bells of a church calling people to worship began to ring. He stood there listening to the bells. His soul became quiet as he pondered this wonderful thought. He had known the facts of the gospel for years, but suddenly he understood why Christ had to come. Years of doubt and disbelief vanished with the passing storm. He fell to his knees in the snow, thanking God for coming in human form to get him out of the storm. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he chose to give up his place at the right hand of the Father, to give up the glory of heaven for the poverty of living in human flesh. He often slept on the hard earth. He never owned the most basic transportation and was dependent on the generosity of others. Sometimes he was so hungry he would eat raw grain or pick fruit off a tree. Jesus knew what it was like to be rained on, to be cold. He knew what it meant to have no home. The author of life was now surrounded by sickness, disease, and death. In heaven, the angels worshipped him. Now he was ridiculed. Many wanted him dead. Some called him a lunatic. And even his own family tried to rein him in. The Holy Son of God was accused of a crime he never committed. The jury was rigged, and a judge swayed by politics handed down the death penalty to the righteous judge of all men. They killed him. He left as he came, penniless. He was buried in a borrowed grave, and even his funeral is financed by compassionate friends. He died with nothing, and any mere man would have been bitter and angry. But instead we read that when he faced his own death, he uttered the prayer, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The Incarnation, God the Son, stepping onto the stage of human history to die for me and for you. Just a few verses after our text, we read in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Recognize His love. Recognize His compassion for mankind. And may it be, Christians, that we continue to walk by faith, living for the glory of our Savior, living in His grace and His truth. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.